Welcome back, Pinball Nerds, to episode 368 of your fifth favorite pinball podcast. My name's Orville Albert, and if it sounds like I have a bit of a different tone today, it's because, well, we're going to get uncomfortable here. We're going to talk about diversity in pinball, Black Lives Matter, and just generally get into some uncomfortable places. So uh, I'm not going to be doing the theme song today. I'm not going to be doing any outro music. Um, I'm just going to try to be open and honest, and I know a lot of us were already going through it before um, what that disgusting officer did to George Floyd by holding his knee down on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds happened. We were already going through it, and now um, the United States is in more turmoil than has ever been before. Even here in Canada, uh, we've seen a lot of protests. if ever there was a good reason to go outside and to be protesting in the middle of a pandemic, I think that this is a good reason to do it. Uh, systemic racism is a problem here in Canada, maybe not as deeply engraved as it is in the United States, but it certainly exists. And uh, plus brutality is something that exists uh, as well. And um that not only extends to all, you know, pe- people, people who are a visible minority, but also to just to everybody. Uh, unfortunately, it disproportionately affects uh, people who, people of color and people who are a visible minority in any way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, um, and. You guys have heard a lot about it. I'm going to mention it now, and I'll mention it at the end. Uh, The one website I found that was really clear and distinct and made it easy to kind of see how you can make a change was called Campaign Zero. Uh, You can visit it at joincampaignzero.org. They really lay out – it kind of – it talks about what the problem is. It talks about different solutions – Uh, I really like the layout of how they've done this between it's more than just protesting. Protesting is important, of course. Um, and what I really like is when you go to the main page, they have these 10 different things that you can do and click on and see how to do it. And, and, and it's, uh, ending broken, uh, and broken windows policies, um, policing, um, community oversight, use, limit use of force, uh, independently investigate and prosecute, um, community representation, body cams, film the police, training, and for-profit policing, demilitarization, uh, fair police union contracts. Um, a lot of these things would not be talking being being talked about right now if it wasn't. And I know that there is some negative sides to the writing, and I even know there's been at least two arcades that I saw that, you know, got damaged. And obviously on a personal level, I feel bad for the owners, but I believe that for the greater good, there's that word again, we all love for the greater good of society. Uh, it's systemic racism needs to end. It's just, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, I want to start by saying that I am not perfect and I've made a lot of mistakes in my, my life. Um, I've used derogatory words, uh, I've used the N-word before, uh, unfortunately, 
primarily while I was singing rap lyrics as a teenager, but partially also joking around with friends and even joking around with a, a, a good buddy of mine who happens to be black. And I thought that it was okay at the time because um, I, I, at the time I lived in a, a black family, believe it or not. A lot of you may not know this about me. Some of my really good pinball buds back there uh, in good old London, Ontario, shout out. Uh, they know this about me, but uh, many of the rest of you might not know that. Um, well, uh, let's go back to the start. Let's just, just get completely uncomfortable here and let's just go back to the start. Uh, and whether or not I was using the N-word, you know, against someone, certainly it's worse if you're calling someone, you know, a derogatory name to be mean at them is is worse than if you're saying it like, hey, buddy, you know what I mean? Or you're singing it in a song, but it's still it's still disgusting. It's still ignorant. It's still wrong. Just 19-year-old Orby didn't know that. You know what I mean? Um and I'm still not perfect. I'm still not perfect to this day. Uh, I know even as a driving instructor, I was a driving instructor until about probably five or six years ago. And uh, I still was guilty for suggesting, you know, especially when I was talking to other instructors that we had certain drivers of a, 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 of a of Asian, you know, there was basically a whole thing behind the scenes. It, that we said Asian drivers were harder to, to teach. And although part of that might have been true because of the fact that the town that I lived in, London, Ontario, many of the Asian students that were learning to drive were from Asia and did not have parents living there in London, Ontario, and therefore did not have a car to practice with. So, of course, all of my, you know, students, white or not, that I had, uh, they had this car to practice on home. So there was this whole systemic thing uh, through the driver instructor's field that people would joke around about not wanting to get an Asian student from the University of Western Ontario to teach, even though they're ridiculously, you know, you have to be very smart to get into university. The idea was you did not want to get one of them as uh, a student. And this was just a stupid thing to say because, uh, you know, some of my, definitely if I think back to the hardest students I ever had to teach, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a mixture of different colors and races. There are people who are great at driving cars from every race. Uh, in fact, uh, Danica, you know, one of the things was in racing, oh, women can't race cars. And Danica Kirkpatrick, I, f I forget what her name is. Danica, I think it is. She was in Formula One and then came over to NASCAR and she's one of the best drivers out there. Um, anyways, what I just want to say is that I am guilty of these biases or having these thoughts as well. And they're just certain things that you need to work through and you need to really sit there and go, uh, you need to really judge yourself, you know? And, and, and I think that unless you're a police officer and you can look at your job, just each one of my listeners, you have to think about what you can do and what we can do to make pinball more inclusive and make pinball, um, more inviting towards people of other races because I could see not just, you know, I've talked about it as being a woman before coming down the stairs at one of these, uh, you know, private leagues. And there's, I've been to them where there's 39 men and one woman. I've been to them before where there's 52 guys and not a single woman. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I've been to it before where it's 30 or 40 guys and there's not a single person of another race. Um, I'm even just trying to think in the London, Ontario League. We had two really nice uh, men of Asian descent who came out from time to time. 
Um, but we never had a single solitary participant that I knew of that happened to be black. Um, my good buddy, Matt in the hat, Mr. Hatster shout out, um, loved to play pinball when he came by my house in London. Uh, haven't seen him for a while. He was never really on the show because he never really got that much into pinball. I invited him a few times to come out to Monday night pinball and he never came. But again, I don't, I don't, I don't even think that's a race thing at all. I just think he just wasn't really into the pinball that much. Now, mind you, maybe if there was, again, as a tournament director, I mean, are you going to purposely go out of your way to invite people who aren't white? So you try to have that ratio be better? Of course not. That's a little bit silly. But at the same time, if you're someone who might have been a little hesitant in the past to invite a coworker or a friend um, or like even in my case, a family member out who is, uh, you know, a visible minority, if you're hesitant to bring them out to pinball because you're afraid someone might say something rude or treat them different, that you need to get over. That you need to be like, no, I'm there for this person. I want them to come. I think they would love pinball. They just need to come try it. And if they come out to my league and someone's a jerk to them, I'll just stand up for them. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is with 99% of this, I think it's like back hall room stuff. It's not stuff that people are just posting on social media. It's not stuff people are really even talking about. And, and in, in, even in, I can say even in a Zoom party with a couple of my pinball buds, uh, it wasn't the Poor Man's Pinball Podcast uh, uh, Zoom party. By the way, I had a great time at that. All of the men, the dudes in the tribe. Wow. I was hungover for about a week. I haven't had a beer since, but I had a great time in that. Um, but it was not that Zoom. It was another Zoom. And a gentleman used uh, a derogatory term describing someone of a certain uh, colored skin who... And and they just said it like it was nothing, and everyone just kept talking. And I was kind of like, uh, maybe you probably should not use that term, though. Would be super rad, dude. And he's like, what? No one cares. Freaking blah 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 blah. Now, it, to be to be fair, okay, I'm just gonna say it just so we can all be uncomfortable. Okay, the the I don't even want to say it. It was a derogatory term for a Portuguese person that they worked with. And it had to do with a piece of meat that you would sometimes eat for dinner. And they had called him that. And what he had said is, no, no, they all call each other that. And it's like, yeah, but we shouldn't, okay? Um, like, even as a white dude, I shouldn't be calling my white friends honkies. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. I guess I can. But even if I'm able to do it, you know, white people, it's near impossible for me to do this podcast because as an old white dude in a primarily white country and especially in a very, a very white, primarily white province, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to have the conversation. I just saw a mother on the news uh, in Toronto and it, my heart went out to her and she was explaining how she's had to have conversations with both of her black children growing up their entire life. You have to be over the top respectful to every single solitary cop because they aren't going to treat you the same. And you have to be over the top respectful when you're being pulled over because they're not going to treat you the same. And that is 100% true. Um, I was prejudged for other stupid stuff, but it was never the color of my skin. It was choices that I made, like having an old rust bucket with like 200 surfing stickers all over the freaking thing. I had a billabong sticker that took up my entire rear view mirror and I couldn't even, or my, uh, not my rear view mirror, my, my rear window and I couldn't see out the back and I was, I was pulled over a lot. Um, but again, I would have been treated 
10 times worse, or, or not maybe 10 times worse, but significantly worse. Probably wouldn't have weaseled my way out of so many tickets uh, if I was someone of a different skin color, if I was simply just a, a visible minor minority. Uh, we like to think that, you know, Canadians, I think, like to think that there's less racism here. Maybe we're a little bit more of a melting pot. Certainly big areas like Toronto, you know, you could argue that white people are the minority is certainly when you're going to areas like Chinatown and such. Um, but systemic racism is all across the world. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in Canada. Um, we had, uh, I believe she was an 18 year old girl from British Columbia who was uh, shot and killed during a wellness check um, just a week ago uh, in uh, New Brunswick, just north of me there. And uh, again, we, if, if this is my big thing from that whole campaign zero that I, and you guys can just Google campaign zero. You don't have to remember the website. Um, but my whole thing was that like, just for the Halifax police department, which is the closest large police department to me, a couple hours south of here um, for the cost of them getting rid of just one of their armored car vehicles, $300,000. That is going to be enough money to have every single solitary on-duty officer wear a camera for a long time. Maybe two, three years down the road, some of the cameras need replaced or they need new charging units or they need to buy new SD cards or something. Um, but for the next few years, that 300K is going to cover you know, a, a large portion of them to be able to have um, cameras on. And I just don't understand. As a police officer... You don't want it to be a he said, she said situation as uh, a person who's called the police. You don't want it to be he said, she said. And in the case of this young girl, we'll never know. We'll never know. She obviously, she was, they were called there because she was a noise complaint or a wellness check or something. Um, and this happens everywhere. Like this isn't, it, again, it's not just East Can Eastern, you know, United States or the East Coast of Canada or it happens everywhere and it's a bad thing. Let's go. I'm going to go back to how I, I was originally born in London, Ontario, which was a fairly multicultural town, not so much as Toronto or Scarborough or, or even Ottawa, but you know, for the 10th largest city in Canada, we had a, a fairly large population of um, immigrants who had came and, and who had been there for a long time. Uh, but I in kindergarten uh, or JK, if anything moved out, do they have kindergarten in the States? I think they do. Uh, when I was in junior kindergarten, I got, basically it's preschool. Okay. Uh, I moved out to a town called Shedden, which is a village of 400 people. And the school that I went to was called Southwold. And we had thousands of kids that went there and there was zero black kids. There was zero Asian kids. There was zero Middle Eastern kids. There was, we didn't even have anyone Australian, which wouldn't even be a visible minority, just an audible minority when you heard them speak with their accent. But we did have one guy, and the poor guy was actually ridiculed quite a bit. His name was Sebastian Hofsummer, and Sebastian's dad was from Germany. Whoa. So he was not a visible minority. Certain little words that Sebastian said, you could maybe hear a hint of an accent. But when we all went to the farm, I think he owned a deer farm. Uh, when we went there to the farm, his dad had a stronger accent. And people bugged this kid for weeks. And I was like, you guys are jerks. Like my, uh, I, I am like half Dutch. My Oma and Opa come from Holland. So he had also an Oma and Opa. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm actually, to all the American listeners out there, I'm half Texan. 
So I'm, you know, very white, as white as they come, half Texan, half Dutch. Um, but and, and I wasn't one of the ones who bugged Sebastian. Sebastian was my buddy, and I played with him on the soccer team, and like we were we were buds. I I was like, why do people care that your dad has an accent? They were kind of just you know not, they weren't using like the, uh, any hugely derogatory terms, but just kind of oh your dad has an accent. And growing up in the country, it was just weird. It was just different. I remember going into the city, and we were at a mall. Uh, now the nearest town to us, St. Thomas, didn't really have any immigrants there's some there now but at the time and you know this is 80s early 90s very 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 white uh southwestern ontario farm town basically and when we would go into the city i remember being at the mall and i saw a black person and i freaked out and i kind of said to my mom like that's like the guy from the tv show and she was like whoa shh don't we don't we don't you know uh we don't yell about things like that in the mall over and it's like you don't understand i just wanted to go over and give the guy a hug and be like oh my god i've seen all these black people before but i never actually saw a real one this is cool and lo and behold um i moved into london uh in grade seven a couple months later and uh yeah i end up going to a school um, called Cleardale, which was very diverse. In fact, uh, the area that the school was known in was known to be like a, a Middle Eastern, a uh, lot of Middle Eastern families lived there. So in our class, white was still probably, I think I actually remember looking in my yearbook at one point and we were there, it was about 50% white. So it's not like I went to, you know, a, a school that was, you know, completely diverse, but in comparison to Southwold, where there was thousands of kids and only one Sebastian Hofsommer, like one German kid of German descent who wasn't, he was even born here. So he was Canadian in comparison, you know, it was a very, I went to a very <laughs> diverse school and I learned quickly that there are bullies of every different color and there are nice people of every different color. And I learned very quickly uh, that, you know, the differences that we think we all have, they're not as big as we think they all are. Um, and my dad, when I was in grade nine, about two years later, ended up marrying his then girlfriend, uh, Maureen, who was from Trinidad. So she was dark colored. Um, and they lovingly brought me into their family, which was great. Uh, I, I inherited, do you call it that when they get married, uh, by marriage, I had an older brother. So, uh, a stepbrother, um, Marlon. And then my, and then I had a half brother who was, uh, from my dad and my stepmother who is Marcus. And he was just a little baby then. And he of course is biracial. I don't know if, I don't even think you're supposed to use that term, but he, uh, he basically was part white and part Trinidadian. And growing up, uh, I went to a very, um, Let's put it this way. My dad had a dashiki. So I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's like a traditional. We went to a very African church, very lively Pentecostal. Everyone's like, it all becomes clear now, Orby. Uh, there was many, there was many a nights where I was the only white person uh, other than my dad at like, say, a prayer meeting or uh, what, what have you, these sorts of things. Um, there was still some a couple other white kids who who went there, so it wasn't only me. But I grew. It wouldn't be strange on a Sunday if my dad was gone working for me to be in a big house with my grandma Jean, having curry chicken and a little bit of roti and uh, you know some w whatever. We were we were eating all the good stuff, some goat 
Okay. Uh, we were eating all the good stuff. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be strange for me to be there at my aunt's house, my, my, my auntie Grace's house. And for me to be the only white boy. And that was just, that was just how it was. And, uh, you know, for the most part, they accepted me as one of their own. And I thought, well, this is really cool because I, you know, I kind of been told through the years from movies and other things that like, you know, if one person was a different race than a whole family, it would be very awkward. And, you know, I mean, I was awkward for other reasons because I'm Albert, but, uh, for the most part, they really were very welcoming of me. And, uh, it, it, you know, it helped that I love grandma Jean's food. I've always loved spicy food. So that helped because if you did not eat the food that she put on your plate, Grandma Jean. So Grandma Jean, shout out. I don't know if Grandma Jean will ever hear this. I don't think Grandma Jean probably listens to many podcasts. Um, but I did get to see her at my brother Marcus's, because uh, I don't see the side of that family as much anymore. My dad and Maureen got divorced about a decade ago. Um, but I still see my brother Mark. And in fact, many of you who have me on Facebook would have seen last September when I got to go home. I had uh, 10 Ontario missions and I posted a picture with my dad and my bro. Um, he's not much darker than I, so you may not have, you might've just thought he had a really good tan. Um, but he, in fact, uh, you know, me living there in that house and getting to talk to him and see how easy it was for me in high school and see how much my brother Marcus got bugged, especially when I got older and I would listen to him talk about going to uh, school and how he didn't really feel like he fit in with the Trinidadian or the other kind of black kids that were sort of I, I say loosely gang, not really a gang, but group of kids that all hung out. And then I also didn't really get along with, uh, I didn't really get along. He, he, he was explaining that he didn't really get along that well sometimes with some of the white kids. Cause they would kind of razz him and say, Oh, well, you know, so he dealt with it different than me, but thank God, because I was close to him, I was able to kind of see him go through that. And so I think all of these things has given me a slightly better understanding than maybe uh, you know, certainly a way better understanding of, of race had I just stayed living in Shedden and been the only white kid in my school, the only white kid in my high school, you know, going to university or college here in Canada, you're, you're always going to have the privilege of getting to meet and see other cultures. And I think that's important. I think it's really important that you, you don't have to try to go seek out necessarily friends of other colors or other races, but I think it's important that we watch TVs and movies right? Like a lot of people, like I think even, I'm trying to go non-political here. Frickin' Trump made fun of the movie Parasite and said he wouldn't watch it because it wasn't in English and why can't we get English? That was just so stupid. Go watch that movie. Uh, it's incredible. Yes, you're going to have to read some of the uh, the titles, but it's an incredible movie. It's an incredible movie, right? Um, you've probably learned nothing from this and I apologize if I've just been ranting. I've been thinking about doing this episode for about a week. But I've seen a lot of the other, you know, pinball companies sort of talking about it. Uh, Lauren Gray, thank you. Go Everyone go listen to Backbox Pinball. Uh, she had Steve Bowden on and some other guests. I can't remember all who, but she had quite a few people on. And they were really trying to tackle this. And it's a def difficult thing to talk about, uh, especially because I'm not a person of color. I'm not a visible minority. I I'm not someone who's had to deal with, I I've dealt with other small minor biases, biases, but I've never had to deal with, uh, you know, I don't, when I see a police vehicle, I maybe kind of get a little bit like, you know, nervous. Like most people like, Oh my God, am I speeding? Did I put on my seatbelt? Uh, did I, am I, why am I eating a cheeseburger? Is that even a legal deed a cheeseburger while driving? I don't know. Um, but it's certainly not the same things that a person of color goes through going, oh my God, 
Like, is this going to be, is this going to be my last day on the planet for just doing something as simple as, you know, driving a car or going to work or going to the store, right? In George Floyd's case. So, <sighs> although I do understand why there is some people saying, hey, can we not have protests without ever having, you know, anything vandalized? Think about any group of 50,000 people, 40,000 people together. It doesn't matter if it's a concert. It doesn't matter if it's a protest. It doesn't matter if it's a rally. It doesn't matter if it's a whole bunch of people celebrating something. There's always going to be a few bad people in the crowd who start fights or, or, or vandalize things or do that sort of thing. Um, this is probably my longest podcast where I probably really didn't say much. I just, as being a privileged white dude, I felt like I should address it. And at the same time, I would like to see more diversity in pinball. Um, at Pimberg, I got to play with a really cool black chick. Uh, obviously, you know, Steve Bowden was there, but it, it would just be nice if there was uh, a, a moto, of course, a uh, really good representation for pinball. I would like to see more diverse groups. And I think all we can do is just be welcoming and kind and, and, and open about, you know, the fact that we want more diversity in pinball. Why would I, I want to see more women out? I want to see, you know, all those kind of things. I will say this. Most of the themes are primarily targeted it seems like towards white people. Okay. Like, let's be honest. Uh, when you think about the last five or six themes, Oh, there was a black guy in Jurassic park. That's right. Um, he's one of my favorite characters, but okay. I guess I was thinking about Willy Wonka, but in the fifties and sixties, they didn't really put, you know, people, people of color, or they certainly didn't put visible minorities into prominent roles back then. Um, and I think that we as a society, as people have came a long way, but we need to tackle systemic racism, especially in policing. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, some really good things have came out of this. It's it's kind of scary to watch. And I can't imagine living in downtown Milwaukee or Chicago or one of those places where this stuff is happening. Because part of you is going to be like, hey, especially if you're not someone who's racist or someone who's racist, you're just completely like, Maybe you should probably not listen to my podcast. Well, maybe you should, because maybe by listening, you can hear a different point of view, right? And I think that it's fair to say as a white person, pretty much all white people have some splaining to do from when they were younger, or at least have some things they could have done better or some moments where, you know, what I've done in my life is, especially if you're at like a, uh, you know, a golf club or you're at like a, a, a dinner somewhere or something, or, or geez, geez, with family, you're going to hear someone say something sexist. And what I have done for years, and maybe it's not enough, but what I have done for years, if someone said something sexist, I either say nothing if I don't know them well, but certainly don't laugh and don't even acknowledge it and don't even glance over. But if there's someone I know pretty well, I'm like, dude, that's sorry. That's just not even funny. Like, it's just not even funny. And I started doing that with, you know, people telling race jokes and it doesn't sound like much. But you have this one guy in your group who tells a joke, and I am thinking more so of my my friends that I go golfing with, not really my pinball friends, thank God, weren't like this. But uh, this is going back to when I kind of worked at the bank and I was hanging out with, you know, more so hoity-toity white folk. But they would quite often say off the hand little jabs. They weren't like these long, intricate racist jokes, but they would be a jab about their cleaning lady or it'd be a jab about how their uh, their kids – um, 
the person teaching them math happened to be Asian or something like that, or just these little, you know, and it just, it wouldn't, wasn't, you know, all I can do from my point is just not laugh and encourage that. I'm not going to be sharing anything about that. Um, but I think I'm actually, I've got to the point where I would like to do more and I'm going to keep campaign zero open and I am going to read through these 10 things slowly as I have been and just see what I can do. And, and I invite if, if you are someone of a visible minority um, and you listen to the show and you think you have something cool to say about it, feel free to f- send me a message either through Facebook on the Pimble Nerds podcast page uh, or you can be the first person to ever email me at pinballnerds at gmail.com. I'm just kidding. I get about 100 notifications a day for uh, Twitch. Um, yeah, I I don't know if I added to the conversation or just kind of sputtered on about it, but um, I personally know I could do a lot better. I don't really uh, – maybe, you know, I could seek out more TV shows or movies that have more – Um, people that are prominent about that. Um, I also should have gone to the Black Lives Matter March. It was last Saturday in Amherst, and we were waiting for our gloves, sorry, our gloves. We were waiting for our masks to come in, for us to kind of feel a little more safe to go in a large crowd, and they have not came in yet, so we did not go. But I feel like that was kind of a weak sauce excuse, and I kind of should have gone, and I kind of just half arsed it like I do sometimes, and I will say this. It was my good buddy Tyrone Chan's uh, birthday the other day. My best friend all the way through college. And Tyrone is no longer here with us. But uh, Tyrone, I love you, bud. Uh, Missed you in college. And uh, we were best buds. I had to see him kind of get, you know, go through some stuff from time to time. So anyways, be nice to everybody out there. Let's try to get along. Let's, you know, have an open, honest conversation about what we can do to have less racism in the world because that would make pinball and the rest of the world a better place.